0: A few thoughts in review of previous weeks. Uh, So far we've learned that God created us out of a perfect community of love comprised of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God passionately desires a personal relationship with us, and he is compassionate, full of grace, faithful even when we don't see it. Those are the weeks that have come before. Today, we're going to explore a little bit different aspect of God, of his character. One which, like I said before, has proven to be quite difficult to understand for several people. Um, Let's go back to our main passage, Exodus 34, verses 6 through 7. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, Yahweh, Yahweh. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave us. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And for our lesson today, we're going to skip down to verses thirteen and fourteen break down your altars smash their sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God and you know we just sang I had them sing that song always good and you think can an always good God be a jealous God how do those work together? We're going to unpack that today. The term jealous or the concept of jealousy has obviously many negative connotations for good reason. Without question, there can be serious issues when someone is jealous of someone else. The self-described nature of God has tripped up many people over the years. I watched a video this week of a famous TV host. I won't mention her name but it rhymes with Mopra Tenfree. And she, she was interviewing someone on her show several years back, and she's actually repeated this interview a few times. Um, she was in her late 20s, I think she said 26, 27. She was in a worship service, and the preacher was talking about God's omniscience and his omnipresence, and the fact that he is all and in all and everywhere. And, uh, but then he mentioned, the jealousy part. And Mopra was thinking about that, and she thought, I I can't quite figure that out in my mind. That makes me very uncomfortable. Is the way she said it. it. It just didn't sit well with her. And she asked this question several times in the interview. She asked, God is jealous of me? You think about that question, and I'm sure there are thousands, potentially millions, potentially billions of others who've asked that God is jealous of me when they get to this passage and it kind of trips them up a little bit? I think she missed the point. I think several of us have potentially missed the point over the years. God is not jealous of us. God is jealous for us, right? Right? And I wish I had about 10 minutes with Mopra to talk about that. Because I think a simple explanation with the Holy Spirit's work could change a heart that could change millions of hearts. Let's look at this concept of jealousy a bit further. The Hebrew word used in this passage is kana, K-A-N-A. And its Greek equivalent is zelos. Z-E-L-O-S. And uh, from my sources, I'm no Hebrew or Greek uh, scholar here, but my sources that I've been reading through and studying have said that this word is properly translated uh, jealousy here. There are other passages in scripture where it's translated as zealous or envy. And I would suggest that many of us probably kind of mix up the terms jealousy and envy kind of similar definitions in our minds and it's difficult sometimes to make a clear distinction between the two. Eric Thoens who is a professor and chair of theology at Biola University put it this way. I'll just read his quote. He said zeal is a strong feeling to see something come about. Envy is a desire to gain possession of something that does not belong to you and is always sinful jealousy is a strong desire for relational faithfulness god is righteous and loving when he demands exclusive faithfulness from his covenant people god's jealous love god's jealous love demands the best of us and our relationships i thought that was very well said if god is love then he can't not be jealous it's a little hard to understand, right? A double negative there. I just broke every rule. My grammar wife wouldn't like that. Uh, but that statement can be said another way uh, If God is not jealous, then he is not love. And if God is not love, that pretty much shatters everything we know and believe about him, doesn't it? The two must work together. In the end, we should celebrate him being jealous because that allows the statement God is love to be absolutely true. And we'll talk about that some more. One more quote from Eric Thoen's, To worship any God but the true God is spiritual adultery. And any husband who does not care if his wife commits adultery most certainly does not love her. I think we could all agree with that. Uh, We would question a spouse if they allowed his or her spouse to commit adultery within the marriage and just be okay with it. I would question the love in that relationship. So who in the room doesn't like to be first? There's something really special about first place, your first car, maybe your first job, a first date. I'm looking forward to a first dance with my daughter in December when she gets married, firsts are pretty special and we tend to to uh, build memories around firsts right and, and hold them really dear in our hearts. So I dug up these first photos of Jennifer and me. Uh, these were taken back in February of 1986. She didn't want me to show these. Uh, February of 86 we had uh, our first date was January 31st of 1986 and then we had these photos taken that's uh, Acuff Chapel at Lipscomb behind us we were both in high school there at Lipscomb Um, my favorite one is this one this one was taken second look how she's looking at me I mean adoringly right that's pretty cool Uh, she could have been asking this this guy's crazy but I choose to believe that this is what she was saying I think I found the guy I want to spend the rest of my life with right that's what I choose to believe it was very early in our relationship but uh, and and that was taken on a camera with film right and we had to wait two weeks for it to be processed uh very different today but um Uh, I think that that photo, first photos, something really special about those. I hold those very near and dear. Um, First are important. Can we all agree that the world is in a constant race for us to choose it first? Does anybody question that? We are under a constant barrage of, of Something, someone, somewhere asking for our allegiance. The world wants us to choose it first. And, obviously, our hard-earned dollars to go toward whatever we choose, right? Um, There's a reason that the first of the Ten Commandments, the very first one says, you shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 20, verse 3. There's a reason that one's first. God knew. That we would struggle with choosing firsts in our life. And choosing first is very important. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 22, 33, 34 through 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus is saying, God first, and others first, or more simply, God and all others before ourselves. Choose God first, others before yourself. God knows that what comes first in our lives is of supreme importance and he is jealous about holding that position. Again, God is not jealous of us, he is jealous for us, for our attention, for our hearts, for our time, for our allegiance, for our obedience, because he knows it is primarily to his glory and ultimately our good doesn't it make sense that the one who created us would know what is best for us? He knows what will bring us fulfilling, flourishing, joyful, content, intimate, celebratory, and hope-filled lives filled with grace, mercy, and peace. He knows all of that very, very well. He's a personal God who desires a personal relationship with his people. The God who was, the God who is, and the God who will be therefore deserves nothing less than our full surrender. I'm not a big fan of watching movies multiple times. I typically see a movie once and that's enough for me. Um, I'll let you in on a secret. I love good uh, uh, romantic comedies. Do I need to turn in my man card now? <laughs> yeah. You know the outcome, right? You know the story, you know the plot. I just like that plot. So I will, uh, I'll sit down and watch a good romantic comedy. So there's one years ago called Notting Hill. I don't know if you have seen it. I've seen it multiple times. That's one I was willing to sit through multiple times. But there's this movie star played by Julia Roberts and this just average Joe played by Hugh Grant. And she is kind of chased by and surrounded by and always pursued by paparazzi and others just begging for a moment of her time. She finds herself in this bookstore that Hugh Grant's in, and um, kind of like in any romantic comedy, there's a spark that's generated from this interaction, right? Through a series of really funny and uh, intentional interactions that they, they have over the next several days, weeks, whatever, they strike up a relationship and you know it's 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 kind of like movie star with the average joe it's, it's, there's a lot of problems there eventually that relationship hits some snags and they decide it's probably better to go our separate ways neither of them really at peace with the idea but it just makes sense in light of all that's going on so there's this segment of the movie where after they've parted ways and julia roberts makes her way back to the um, bookstore and this famous line. Many of you could probably quote it uh, as she steps in this uh, bookstore and she's standing there in front of him. She's very tearful. She's very emotional and she says this very simply, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. What a moment, right? That's a that's a moment when you think about movies and romantic comedies and things like that. I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. I think there's an analogy here that we can make. We live in a world that does its best to pull us miles apart from God. Distraction after distraction begs for our attention, for our allegiance, for our treasure. We're tempted to choose anything other than God. But there is an enemy Prowling around, ensuring that we trip up and sin again and again. But the living God, the God of creation, the God who is jealous for you, he starts out, if you think about the, the, his, his movement through history, at first he's hovering over the, the void, the waters, the emptiness, And then he comes down and he he comes to tabernacle and he's in the cloud and in the fire. And then he comes toward us in the flesh of Jesus Christ. And then he chooses to live in us as the Holy Spirit. That God, that jealous God, he loves you that much that he can't leave you where you are. He can't leave you with your choices for anything other than him. He is jealous for you. And he says, much like Julie Roberts had that famous saying, I am a jealous God, living in your heart, asking you to choose me. In the middle of all the chaos of life, choose me. I know what's best for you, choose me. I am the way and the truth and the life, choose me. And that goes on and on and on and on. He never gives up pursuing us. That is a jealous God. So as image bearers of Yahweh, how should we respond to God's righteous jealousy? God first. There can be no other gods before him. Numbers 2 and 3 kind of go together. First, identify the idols in your life. 2 Peter tells us people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. So identify, spend some time identifying the idols in your life. Number three, replace the idols in your life. I wanna kinda sit here for just a second and talk about this, replacing the idols. First, God first, above all others. Two, identify the idols. Three, replace the idols. Um, Let's let's just kinda think about some idols, potentially, that we deal with, because an idol is anything that comes between us and God. Um, Are you mastered by self or comfort? Ezekiel puts it this way, he characterizes the people as arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. I wonder if we can say that about our society, arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned, may that never be said of us. Are you mastered by wealth or possessions? Is that an idol? Ezekiel also says in chapter 12 that we can be stripped of everything instant we've seen it maybe we've lived it but actively seeking opportunities to be generous or to give it away um, developing a comfort with being uncomfortable true sacrifices lead to a healthy dose of dependence on God and not on self are you mastered by your appetites kind of goes back to that first one overfed James 1 tells us that uh, our sin is birthed out of our own evil desires. However, if we put God first, as Jesus told us in the greatest commandment, then our appetites take a back seat and become less and less appetizing. Are you mastered by pride? Pride in your achievements versus boasting in the Lord? Think about the difference there and how there's a healthy path forward if pride is an idol of yours. Are you mastered by your own wisdom? Isaiah asked the question, who has ever instructed the Lord on anything? Spend time in the word to increase your awareness of the wisdom of man being foolishness in God's sight. That will give you a much better perspective on putting your faith in your own wisdom. Are you mastered by guilt or shame? Right? Anything that becomes between you and your God, is guilt and shame weighing you down? Is there a pattern of sin that potentially is ruling your life? That, uh, is, is putting a barrier between you and the an ability to be open and honest and vulnerable with your God and others? For me, I had, um, you know, my son prayed for my father. Um, my father and I had a, a, uh, a tough relationship for, for a number of years. And I won't go into all those details, but it caused me to put up some barriers, some boundaries around my heart that made it very difficult to let him in when the time came that he wanted to be in. And I had a hard time working through that. I had made my feelings, my bitterness, into an idol that prevented me the ability to have a relationship with my father when the time came that we could have a decent relationship. Now thankfully, the Lord and the Holy Spirit worked through several people to help me work through that, and I was able to put aside the bitterness, rebuild a relationship with my father, and you know what happened? My relationship with God was then able to take a whole new meaning because I had put aside this idol of bitterness that I was holding on to. My spiritual growth just took a whole new level from there. So the, the final point here, who, who should we be as image bearers of a jealous God? Uh, we need to develop a, right, a righteous jealousy for the lost souls around us. It's kind of taking it to the next level, isn't it? God is jealous for us We need to be jealous for others. God wants the best for us. We want the best for others. We want others to have what God has chosen for them to have, to be as fulfilled and content and and, uh, full of joy as we are. So I'm suggesting that we cultivate a righteous jealousy that will drive us to share our redemption story with others and to confess our faith. So that others will find him to be their number one as well. The jealousy of God for us is a model of a jealousy we should have for others. This all sounds a lot like our mission here at Fourth Avenue, doesn't it? Love God, serve others, share Jesus. If we choose God first, identify and replace the idols in our lives and develop a righteous jealousy for those around us who are lost in sin, they were, then we are living out our mission for God's kingdom. It all starts with a jealous God who refuses to break his covenant, as Kyle talked about last week. So, I wanted to read through a, a long passage out of Isaiah 44, but I'll just kind of summarize it real quick. And Mark, if you want to bring your team up. Um, Isaiah 44 goes into a long description of um, idols and the uh, folly of idols. If we put our faith in man-made idols or man-crafted things, and it talks about how the same wood that is used and carved for an idol is also used to be thrown on the fire in order to prepare your dinner. It's, It's that it's that unreasonable it's that foolish that we would potentially choose an idol made of wood that then is used for other purposes right half for this half for that Uh, it's foolish but if we will follow these four things if we will identify God as first with no other gods before him we'll identify spend some time think about what idols are in my life and what steps do I need to do To take to replace those idols and then the next level develop that righteous jealousy for others for those who are lost around us we will see that that God we will we will be able to live into all that God intends for us to be and enjoy in our lives that perfect peace that only a God with righteous jealousy can provide so I end with a question I asked the, the team to learn a second new song as well. and I, I poured it on this last week, didn't I? I'm sorry. But uh, you're going to be blessed by this song, um, and, and you'll learn it very quickly. But um, so I end with a question. What does the one true God, the one who is consumed with righteous jealousy, the one who zealously seeks to bring peace to our lives, what does he deserve? What does he deserve? He deserves to be first, and he deserves to be worshiped. Behold our God.